0: So I love our vision for Skylark Church for the year ahead. In fact, it's just basically our lifelong learning journey, isn't it? And for those of you who may be visiting for the first time today, over here on my left-hand side, you will see that board that says Jesus, know him, love him, follow him, and share him. And we are passionate here at Skylark Church about making Jesus' name known. But that is our responsibility. It's not the building's responsibility. We are the church. We are Skylark Church. And so it is my responsibility and it is your responsibility to make Jesus known. And for those that are here every week, how are you getting on with that? You know, we're a few weeks into the new year, aren't we? Good to have a little assessment a few weeks in. But we actually released this in October. So how how are we getting on with that? Some of us might have stronger areas than others. And I know for me that I can really be much better in all aspects. And from this year, my heart, I've asked God, I really want to just lean in. I want to listen, and I want to discover more. We never get to a stage where we know it all. And if we do, we need to definitely revisit, because we've definitely got something wrong. I want my heart to love more freely. But you know what I want more? I want to decrease I want to lose more of me. So we're going to pray. God, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, we love you and acknowledge your power and authority in this place this morning, God. Lord, our heart is longing to know you. Well, mine is, Lord. And I pray that everyone here this morning, that their heart would have a longing to know you. God, not to know you in their head, but to know you in their heart. And Lord, this morning, I pray that I would decrease and Holy Spirit, that you would increase. Lord, that as we've spoken already this morning about what we need, that you give us what we need. Lord, I pray that we would all just have something new, a new revelation of you this morning. Lord, come and do that which only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I want to share a little bit this morning by looking at how fear can prevent us from knowing him. Knowing him in its fullest sense of the word, in freedom, no strings attached. You see, if we've been in relationship with Jesus for any stretch of time, there can be a false sense of rhythm. We fall into this kind of prayer life that becomes a shopping list. We be, and serving in church becomes a bit more ritualistic and you're on a rota and we, get to, we lose the heart of, can you believe that we get to do this? And we begin to love others for project purposes because we feel like we can fix them and it's less of an organic thing. It can become a thing that we do instead of us becoming the thing, the one who needs to become more like Jesus every single day. And I just want to share a little bit for a few moments about fear and a few of the ways that it has the ability to cripple us or stop us moving forward, to prevent us from knowing and experiencing Jesus wholeheartedly. And then when we've acknowledged what some of these things are, how we can bring them into the light, how we can pour God's light onto them and see them transformed into areas of freedom in our lives. So I'm going to start with a little game this morning. Would You Rather seems a popular game at the moment. For those of you with children, you might have played this quite a few times, but it seems to be all over social media and just in lots of places that I have um, seen it. And so I thought, why not? We'll play it here at Skylark Church this morning. So I'm going to read out a statement once. It'll come up on the screen behind me. And then I'm going to ask for hands, so one way or the other. There's not a lot of thinking time. We're going to go pretty fast. So if you're a slower internal processor... I apologize in advance, but here goes. Here we go. This is our first one. Would you rather always be 10 minutes late or t- t- always 20 minutes early? Right, hands up for 10 minutes late. Oh, nice. We've got a few. It's okay. There's no condemnation here at Skylark Church. Or would you be rather always be 20 minutes early? Nice. Okay, next. Would you rather know the history of every object you touch or be able to talk to animals? Every object you touch. Nice. I've got some historians, you know, people that want to know. Or talk to animals. Nice. Okay. Would you rather... Have all of the traffic lights you approach be green or never have to stand in a line again. This is a hard one. Okay, approach the traffic lights being green. Nice, a few of you. They're both a test of impatience, really, aren't they? Or never have to stand in line again. We love a queue, don't we? Would you rather be able to see 10 minutes into your own future or ten minutes into the future of anyone but yourself. Ten minutes into the future of somebody else. Oh no, sorry, ten minutes into the future of yourself, your own future. Ten minutes. Or ten minutes into the future of anyone else. Okay. So we've got, you know, we've got some varying degrees. You see, it's an interesting game to play especially around the dinner table, because it allows you to then say, well, why do you think that? Why, why do you, would you rather, you know, zoom through those traffic lights rather than stand in a queue? But it's important to ask ourselves why when we're looking at the sense of fear that can arise in our life. Behind me, you will see a door. That is the bottom half of my kitchen door, There's a pond right outside our back door, and clearly those tools haven't been put away, but hey, there's no condemnation here, is there? A couple of weeks ago, Sarah and I were in our kitchen, and a cat came up to the back door, so into that kind of my bottom left-hand side corner, and it just stood there, staring back at us. Now, I've got nothing against animals, but I'm not a huge animal person, I'm not a massive pet person, I think it's probably because I didn't grow up with pets, wasn't really around them, or it could be that I'm half Pakistani and I'm married to a Nigerian and it's not really an ethnic thing, pets. But you see, in my stage of life, when our children get to that age, as they nearly are, the older two, and say, oh, well, can we get a dog? I will firmly be saying no. <laughs> I love dogs, not, I've got nothing against them, but hey, it's just not our thing. But you see, this little cat, this cat just wouldn't go away. No matter how close we got to the door, no matter how I moved, no matter how hard I was staring back then, because I was like, well, what, what are you staring at? He or she, they just wouldn't move. Like, and having had a little read up, it's quite characteristics, apparently, of cats for them to do this as it means that they want attention and they're looking for some kind of entertainment from whatever thing that they're looking at. But it can also be used as an intimidation technique for another cat or animal in their sight to see who will give in first. And in that moment, Soraya looked at me and she kept saying, Mummy, scared, scared, mummy, mummy, scared, scared. Everything in her body language, the tone of her voice, her little face, everything about her was crippled with fear. And she's only one years old. Yet, in that moment, she could articulate exactly how she was feeling and the correct emotion, and she felt it strongly. But the thing that has struck me, as the days have passed, is that now, every single time she walks into the kitchen and she stands and stares at that door, she stands in the exact same place, she looks at the exact same door, and she says the exact same thing. Scared mummy. Scared mummy. Scared mummy. And after the third day of her doing it, I really just something rose up in my spirit. And I needed to began to have beginning to reassure her that no, darling, everything's fine. You are loved and you are protected. I am here and nothing will happen to you. So that's what we've been doing. But as I've sat with that, more and more, Holy Spirit has really highlighted to me how many of us live in or live with some kind of fear. A fear that tries to intimidate us every single day. Some of us, that will be every hour of every single day. It's like fear is just grabbing out for us, and he's trying to see how many of us he can get. And as I was writing this, I had that image of you know, the Hungry Hippos game, where the, the, the things, the balls are all in the middle, and it's just like you, you shove, you know, press the button, and the hippo goes because you're trying to grab those, the, the balls back so you can be the winner. And I just felt like that's what fear tries to do. A few years back, Bev was here and she talked to us um, in one of her messages about the fact that we have the holy trinity, but we also have the unholy trinity of shame, fear, and rejection. And those things are always just lingering around, just seeing which one can pounce. And the thing is, the more we get used to repeating that behaviour, the more we get repeat, be used to repeating that language it slowly becomes a safe place for us to live. It slowly becomes a natural place in our thought life to think, well, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to, I couldn't possibly do that. And you see, much like Soraya, who d- developed a habit or repetitive behaviour in a very short space of time, I have this mor- sense this morning that God just wants us to acknowledge some of the fear that we live with, to name it, and, and, and for us to then go on further to find a place of freedom. And for some of you, you'll be like, no, it doesn't apply to me. You know, blocked my, blocked that out. Not, you know, I can zone out this morning. But how about if it's for somebody else? I'm going to read from Isaiah 43 in the Passion Translation. The promise of Restoration. I'm reading verses 1 to 7 but it'll be up on the screen here. Now this is what Yahweh says. Listen, Jacob, to the one who created you, Israel, to the one who shaped who you are. Do not fear, for I, your kinsman redeemer, will rescue you. In the Amplified, it says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. And in the brackets, it says, from captivity. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the deep stormy sea, you can count on me to be there with you. When you pass through raging rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through persecution like fiery flames, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you, for I am your saviour, Yahweh. The Holy One of Israel, I give up Egypt as the price to set you free. Cush and Seba in exchange to bring you back. Since you are cherished and precious in my eyes, and because I love you dearly and want to honour you, I willingly give up nations in exchange for you, a man to save your life. I am with you now, even close to you. So never yield to fear. I will bring your children from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, hand them over and to the south, don't hold them back. Bring me my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Bring me everyone who is called by my name, the ones I created to experience my glory. I myself formed them to be who they are, and made them for my glory. Sorry, I'm flicking through here because uh, they've got a bit mixed up, my, my slides, but that's okay, we'll go with it. Here we go. Fear, an unpleasant emotion or thought that you have when you are frightened or worried by something dangerous, painful, or bad that is happening or might happen. You see, there's so many fears that we can experience on a day-to-day basis. And this morning, I just want to highlight a few from these verses and share very vulnerably from my own experiences and from my own fears in the hope that you would realize that we all struggle with something. And we've all got a lot of work to do in all aspects of our lives. So fear number one, the fear of not being enough. And I love that these verses open with the truth that God has crafted us. And it says he's shaped us, which means he knows our strengths, and he knows our weaknesses, the well-watered parts and the dry places. He knows what makes us angry, and not like the social justice anger, I mean the, the, the unhealthy anger. He knows what pushes our buttons, He knows our triggers for feeling rejected. He knows every ounce of the inadequacy and insecurity that we may feel on a daily basis. And yet he says he has called us by name and he reminds us that we are his. You see, the world that we live in is constantly telling us that we aren't good enough, we haven't got enough, we aren't doing enough. And subsequently, somewhere, somehow, those little niggles just sit in places Sometimes we're aware of them, and sometimes we're not. And they're very subtle. How young people are being conditioned to think that, they can, that success can only come via fame or social influence, money or sport, or something high profile, where it's their name that is known. Identity is being questioned time and time again for all sexualities and genders. It is said that we are living in the loneliest days, but yet we're in the highest form of connection. Comparison between anything and everything is at an all-time high. The difference and the gap between the have and the have-nots is getting bigger and bigger. And yet it's okay, because we're all just totally supposed to feel adequate and everything's fine and we've got more than enough. For every place that life finds us, we're supposed to see all of this and hear all of this and think, "Yep, no, that's fine, we've got it. Well, I struggle with this every day. It's a battle I have to overcome in my mind and then create healthy habits to outwork in everyday life, especially when you come from the background that I do. Many of you know my stories, and some, have, some of you won't. And I'll just briefly go over that. So I am mixed race, my mum is English, and my dad is Pakistani. I come from a Muslim home, and I came to know Jesus about 13 years ago um, when I started dating my now husband, my then boyfriend, Efe. But my parents separated when I was three years old and then they spent the next seven to eight years getting back together, separating, getting back together, separating until I was then finally at about 10, 11 years old they decided that no, this is enough now. Cue the very messy divorce where the children were then used as the collateral and I spent most of my childhood living to please my dad. I desperately, desperately wanted him to love me. And I desperately, desperately wanted to keep the peace between my parents. And it's probably the main reason today that I despise any kind of confrontation or choice words. It literally makes me feel sick. I can't bear it. I grew up in a very white, middle-class area with an older brother who had a different dad to me. His dad is black African, and so we were an interesting family to look at. People would often look at us and couldn't quite figure out. My brother's eight years older than me, so it got to a stage where he could either have been my boyfriend or my mum's toy boy because she looks quite young. So people would always look at us and think, how, what is this even, how does this even make sense? I went to South End High School for girls, and you know, secondary school, the ethnic diversity ratio was very slim, but my group of friends happened to be very mixed. And I wasn't hugely aware of the fact, until I probably went to uni, that... I was different, apart from some of the, you know, choice words that people had said about us growing up. But when I went to university at Brunel, I I experienced segregation on a huge, huge scale. All the black people stuck with the black people, all the white people hang out with the white people. And if you're a mixed race, well, you were, you know, all the Asians with the Asians. And if you're a mixed race, whatever your mix was, if you were mixed race, white and black, and you hung out with the white people, well, you were more white. If you hung out with the black people, you were more in touch with your black side. And then... If, you know, like me, interestingly, I left uni with two of my closest friends who were Asian. But you see, I really began to question who I was. At Pakistani events, I wasn't Asian enough because we were the girls with the white mum. And at British events, we were brown girls. And coming from a home where I knew I was loved, but it wasn't expressed in the way it should be, meant I really wasn't sure who I was. I know that I wasn't sure who I was because when I look at my three beautiful children that God has given to F.A. and I, they've got an assurance about them that they never had. Not only are they loved and planted firmly in their family relationships, they have an assurance that they were designed and created uniquely by God. Every hair on their head, every personality trait, every every personality trait, every natural gift and talent because we've intentionally taught them about their identity, both their physical identity and their identity in Christ. See, that's what we have to do with ourselves. We have to intentionally teach ourselves about our identity in Christ. We have to speak it into existence until we actually believe it. Because sometimes we as Christians, we talk a great game. But we don't always believe it in our hearts and in our spirits. But what we can do is we can speak it until we do believe it. We just could keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until one day, oh, I am a child of the Most High God. I am a daughter of the Most High King. Do you know who my dad is? We, we begin to get this like burst of faith and this realisation and um, authority. Not in a um, condescending way, but in a I know who I am. But you see, for me back in my teenage years, I didn't know about that. And so I've searched for love in, in silly places and made decisions that I shouldn't have done and I'm not hugely proud of but it fed into my rejection and identity issues further than I could have ever imagined. It wasn't until I met Jesus in 2007, almost three quarters of the way through uni, that I experienced this surge of love. And I began to slowly start looking at my identity. My identity in Jesus as a daughter of the Most High King. That he paid the price for my sin and my shame on that cross. And that he rose again to give me and to give you an abundant life. And you know, it's the one thing that I always pray, church, that I will never lose the wonder. That May we never lose the wonder. May May we never get so familiar. When Claire said it this morning about me being passionate, I am passionate because I know where I could have been. I am passionate because I am so grateful. When I left uni... Interestingly, as I said, my two closest friends were Asian. And my, my identity was, yet again, brought into question. I started a job and um, I was working for an organisation in, in, in Dagenham. And I was having a conversation with this lady. It was of, she was of Nigerian descent. And she said to me, well, how do you feel about yourself? So I was like, I'm fine. You know, all right, actually. I said, what do you, what do you mean? And she said to me, well you're not really a whole anything, are you? She said, you're like half English and half Pakistani. Like, how does that even make you a whole anything? Well, firstly, I was astounded that somebody even thought that, or would even if you think it, you don't say it. But secondly, for the first time, it didn't matter to me what somebody else thought about me. Like, for the first time in my life, I was just enjoying that journey of discovering who Yasmin is in Jesus. And I said to her, well, you know what? I feel really good about who I am because God designed me this way. Before the beginning of time, he knew this is who I would be. And I think he's quite pleased with his work, even if I have some stuff to work out. And she swiftly carried on with what she was doing. (laughs) You see, God's family is inclusive. And I love that in that Isaiah Isaiah is saying to us that God says he's our kinsman redeemer. In Hebrew, the word for kinsman redeemer is goel hadam. It comes from the word ligol, which means to redeem. A kinsman is a family relation, usually your next of kin if there is no brother or another male in the immediate family. And according to the dictionary, a redeemer is someone who buys back who buys or buys back, recovers, pays off, or exchanges something for goods. And interestingly, when I looked up the definition, it also named the person of Jesus Christ. You see, when we put it all together, a kinsman redeemer is someone who is usually your nearest relative, who is charged with the duty of restoring or recovering the rights of another and avenging any wrongdoings in exchange for something. So in that verse, he's setting it out that whatever identity crisis we may find ourselves, Jesus is our kinsman, redeemer, which means he rescues us in the midst of whoever we think we are or we aren't. God says that he has called us by name and that we firstly belong to him. You see, here's the thing. We try to teach our children that quite, and we quite frankly need to all believe that none of us were designed to try and fit into a box or to keep up with those people or to hang around with the cool kids. We were designed to be revolutionary in all aspects of our life. We were designed to make space for others to find Jesus as we go and carry on and pursue this journey of knowing and loving him. We were designed to feel a bit uncomfortable and go against the status quo. And I also want to add this morning that identity battles are not being enough, are not limited to just race or heritage questioning and wrestling. There are so many more aspects, but as I was praying and, and taking time, that's what I felt Holy Spirit, you know, raised in my spirit to share with you. And so that's just a snippet of my journey. But in those moments and those wrestles of doubt, I've started to tell my fear to do one. I tell my fear of not being enough, whether that's my own identity, whether that's as a mother or as a wife or as a daughter of the king or as a mentor, as a friend. When I feel like I've got nothing to offer, I tell the fear that it has to leave. You see, where the presence of God is, there's actually no room for fear or inferiority. We've got to find a way to fight through it. Which leads me on to verse 2. The fear of losing control or comfort or security. Verse 2 says, When you pass through the deep stormy sea, you can count on me to be there with you. When you pass through raging rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through persecution like fiery flames, you will not be burned and the flames will not harm you. See, there's so many things in life that we can't actually control. They're just round the corner, and we don't know about them. We have no idea, but they've happened, and we can't change them. It's life, and sometimes it happens with more tragedy for some than others, and sometimes it works itself out in such a painful way, with no explanation and causes long-term effects for many involved. It's horrible, traumatic, and quite frankly, unfair. And as I stand here today and look out, I can think of so many of you whose situations have changed in some unimaginable way. And yet you're here, still praising, still leading in heart and soul. And I just want to honour you this morning for that and say you're doing great. I admire you so much. Thank you for inspiring me more to go after Jesus. You see, we often talk in our Christian world how life with Jesus is incredible and full of purpose and wonder and mystery and love and joy, and it is. But I'm convinced that what we need to get familiar with is how does our daily pursuit of knowing Jesus help allow our tough days to fuel hope for tomorrow? And in the extremely dark days, how do we water our souls? Or how do we get out of bed when it feels like we're completely crippled in fear or in pain? You see, we've got to expand the conversation that is happening in the wider church and make it a familiar place to talk about finding God and continuing to love God when we don't understand the story in the midst of suicide and mental health battles, in the midst of war zones and refugee crises, in the midst of unexpected death, in the midst of trauma that keeps resurfacing itself, but it's so hard to deal with, you just can't. In the midst of so many things so wrong in our world, both macro on the big scale and micro on our everyday. We need to find ourselves in the presence of God. My prayer, church, is that this sun, a Sunday morning, half an hour worship set is not the only presence of God that you experience from a Monday to Sunday. You're missing out. He loves you and he wants to be close to you. He wants you in his presence. He wants you in worship and he wants you in prayer. He wants to talk to you and he longs for you to love his word, to be immersed in his word. Last January, some of you will know, FA was made unexpectedly redundant, and it was very, very unexpected. We went as a, as a leadership team for two days away on the Thursday and Friday. And we got home, and on Monday morning, I was at the gym, and I got a call from FA about 11 o'clock and said, where are you? I said, I'm just at the gym. I'm coming home. He said, yeah, can you get home quickly? We need to pray. So I said, okay, no problem. He said, I think I'm about to be made redundant. So I was like, oh. You know, we'd only, in the December, I'd gone off and met all his colleagues, and his boss at the time loved F.A. like a son and was like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to smash this year. It's going to be amazing. And the day after we left, after his work's due, his boss got a call and said, we're going to have to unfortunately, let FA go. It's just a figures thing. We are gutted to lose him. And at their annual conference, they actually said to the whole company, it was the hardest decision out of anyone they had to let go because they knew that FA was in heart and soul, but it was a numbers game. And so our plan for 2019 was this. We wanted to finish a little bit more of our house renovation, pay off the last of some of our credit card, put some money in the bank, get our ducks in a row, start to build the business with the aim of handing his notice in In this month, January 2020, we had a really great plan. We were like, God, this is a good plan, isn't it? We love this plan. This is the plan we're going to stick to. And then we had to let go, and we had to let God, because God doesn't want us to get our ducks in a row. He doesn't. And that's not to say he doesn't want us to have order in, in our life. I'm not saying that. He wants us to be people that are invested into him. And I remember that for those first few days, F.A. just spent the next few days crying all of the time. And he was like, I don't know why I'm crying. Why am I so upset? What am I so upset about? And we just had this sense that God was really doing something a bit crazy. That God was doing something that wasn't part of our plan and that he was grieving that part of his career and journey that God had something more for us, but he needed our undivided attention. See, one of our good friends, the ledge that is Pete Adams, came round that week, and he checked in on FA, and I vividly remember him standing in our kitchen, and he was as he was about to leave, he said to us, don't fear, guys. God should just change the security. He just swapped your security for his security, and which one would you rather? And I was like, why have I not thought about this earlier? Why have I got comfortable in my comfort? And then God spoke to me very much about making me laugh. He, this would be a journey that would make us laugh, like Sarah laughed, that she would we would choose laughter. And there's moments where we've had to laugh instead of sob our heart out cry, right? So the laughter goes both ways. It's not always joyous laughter, it's laughter because this is ridiculous and it makes no sense with a mortgage and three children. And you see, as Christians, if we have a faith relationship with God, it's important to remember that, he's, that God's method of like deliverance or support or strength is often not out of, but through. His presence as we go through difficulties becomes the reason that we can put one foot in front of the other and dare to believe again. It's not because he's always going to take us out of that. In Psalm 23 verse 4, it says, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely for you are near. 2019 was insanely tough for FA and I. Some prayers were answered and some prayers weren't. Was my perspective lifted in those moments? Yes, it was. Was it hard when we didn't know how we were going to pay the mortgage each month on a house that we wholeheartedly believe that God led us to just months before? Yes. There were some days, and particularly some Sundays, that we would put diesel in our car over the weekend, not knowing that on Monday, when that came out of the bank account, how we would pay for it, how it would get covered. There were some weeks it did via Miracle's, by people saying, I just feel to bless you with this, or God's just led me here, or, you know. But there's some weeks where it didn't. And there's some weeks where I'd go to the supermarket and i have to have to put half my shopping back because I knew I didn't have enough money to pay for it. Was it humbling? Has it stripped us of any other pride that may have been there that we weren't aware of? Yes. Does Jesus need help with the outcome? no was it a choice to lift up my hands in worship whether it be here or in my house or teach my kids how to pray and worship when you don't know what life is going to throw at you or when our direct debits were bounced or we'd get another text from the bank it's it's not easy But it's a choice. And here's the thing. As skylarks, when we're on this journey of knowing Jesus, we choose to sing and to break the dawn with our song. We choose to lift up our hands with tears and the wonder of, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to do it anyway. That is our mandate, church. We're still very much on that journey. But I've experienced a closeness to God the way I never have in almost 13 years as a Christian but I've not experienced that closeness because I'm like God, I need you to just tick off all of these things on my shopping list. It's because I've had a new revelation that come what may, I'm in this for the long haul. We're in this heart and soul. I'm in this to see everybody that I love know and experience Jesus. Have we sacrificed hugely? Have our kids had to sacrifice and we've had to have really difficult conversations? Yes. But we often say to them at the moment, you know, the greatest gift we can give you is not stuff and any of the other things, but it's to teach you that you need to love Jesus, that whether life works out the way you thought, whether your friend's playing with you today or they don't want to play with you tomorrow, that whatever it is, that you know that Jesus is the greatest gift we can give you. It doesn't matter. Wherever we are, I want my children to know that Jesus is the greatest gift that I can give them. And just finally, there we go. The fear of others, fear of man, fear of woman, what will everyone say about you behind your face, you know, to your face or behind your back? Do you care? See, growing up, how I did, I found comfort in being a people pleaser. It became my natural stance that everybody else was more important than I was, that everybody else um, needed stuff, that I just was the, the, at the bottom of the pile. I had a people-pleasing mentality. And when I came to Jesus, that sat quite well. Because if you've listened to, you know, Nikki's Mary and Martha message, no problem. I could could fit in there. I could do everything. I could help everyone. I could bend over backwards at the expense of myself. I found comfort in it. And I didn't know how to get out of it. And so I had to have a deeper prayer. Anyone who knows me knows that most times I talk, I I talk about how wonderful our deeper prayer ministry is. So sorry, Sue, in advance if there's already a waiting list. But you see, deeper prayer helps us to get rid of some of the stuff that we've lived with for a long time that we are not experiencing the full freedom that God wants us to just say, "Hey, nah, get rid of that," and 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 then you have to go on to develop new habits. And it's very difficult for me when I'm around my parents. I have to think, no, I've let this go. This is not who I am anymore. And I have to create new behaviour patterns. And sometimes it offends people. And sometimes it makes them feel uncomfortable. And I have to be okay with that. And believe that God gives them the grace as much as he gives me the grace. I can't live to be a people pleaser. You know who I want to live for? I want to live for an audience of one. When all is said and done... When I come face to face with my Saviour, I, I want to know that I lived a life poured out. Every day, Monday to Friday, 365, 24-7, that is how I want to live. But there's no special formula, we've just got to keep pursuing Jesus. You see, how do we become free of fear? Well, it's a constant daily, daily fight. And I just want to show you this picture. Now, I love receiving flowers, I really do. I absolutely love it. But sometimes it, it's one of those things where I love it, and I put it in the vase, and all of that, and they look really pretty in my house. And it's just been my birthday, so I had lots of various things of flowers. But sometimes it feels like just another job to do. And my mum comes round, and she goes, "Yes, you haven't." after your flowers very well and you need to trim the stalks and you need to make sure you're changing the water every two to three days. And I'm like, yes, mum, I know, but it's just another job to do on the list of a never-ending task of things to do. And she's in New Zealand at the moment, so I found it especially hard because she normally, even though she moans, would actually do it for me. And so on Friday morning, I looked around at my house and I thought, my mum would be very proud of me if I did this. And so I put all of those flowers and I went through them and took out the dead ones and trimmed them and changed the water and, and I felt very accomplished actually. Admittedly, it was with a toddler like tugging at my leg so it took a lot longer than it normally would others. But I just felt God say that that's, that's got to be us. Sue, so can I just have my little prop please? That's got to be us. You see, a constant pursuit of Jesus looks like this. We need to be presence chasers because it has no place for fear or inferiority. We need to be planted in his word. We need to be water drinkers. And on Wednesday, when we were at VLT and we were in Peter Nicky's office, I was really struck as I was thinking about preparing those flowers, that is how they get their life. They get their life from, from health, you know, from clean, good water. They, you know, even I've got some of my flowers that looked a little dead, but now I've trimmed the stalks and I've put them in some fresh water and jigged them around a bit. They look, their head's lifted. They're, they're better. And you, I know it's a bit cliche, and sorry to use an example like this, but, you know... Let's go with simplicity. That is what we need to do. We need to be people that speak life. Like Soraya got into a habit of saying, scared mummy, scared mummy, scared mummy. We need to be people that speak life. That is part of the DNA of our church. And if you've been here long enough, you will know that. And if you're visiting today, we are a church that speaks life. You see, here's the game that I'd like us to just close with. It's not for anybody else other than you and God. So why don't we just, just close our eyes this morning. We're going to play a would you rather. Would you rather live in the place of not being enough and not acknowledging who God made you to be? A walk in the kinsman redeemer relationship that He's created just for you. Would you rather jump out into the water or into just into the boat? There'll be different levels for everyone. For some, that will look like a faith jump of of starting a business like we did. For others, it will be forgiving someone who's wronged them and they've held hurt and pain for a long time. Would you rather jump out into the water or even into the boat or would you rather find yourself walking or looking on from the shore because even getting in the boat feels too much? Would you rather live for an audience of one or for the accolades and affirmation of others. And that's a tough one, but it's important to have our heart posture in the right place. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray, just in this moment, that maybe it's one or two or three, or it might be none. Lord, that wherever we need to work on Elements of fear that hold us back, that prevent us from experiencing the fullness of who you are. Holy Spirit, would you just highlight that that to us? Lord, we're sorry when we've lived for the accolades and the affirmation of others. Lord, we, we want to experience you. We want to know you in your fullest sense. And whilst we can never experience that fully here on earth, Lord, our hearts have the posture to pursue that every day of our life. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that our presence chasers, that are planted in your word, that are water drinkers from your rivers of living, living life. Lord, and I pray that we would be a church that continues to carry that mandate of speaking life. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you want us to live just free from fear. And so, Lord, I pray that as we just go about our day and our week and our month and the the months throughout the year, Lord, that we would make you the number one priority in our lives.